like Pastor Jen, my heart is really full this morning. So excited to be back with the Lord Jesus and be able to celebrate the Lord's table in just a few moments and then to see all of you, <laughs> all of you. Last week we had about a third of you here for our soft opening. And then to know that many of my brothers and sisters are watching on our new live stream uh, is just overwhelming. To have Pastor Jin with us on this service again in God's way of putting things together is extra special as well. So welcome, Jin, my brother. Uh, it's, it's so good to be back. At the same time, it's been difficult to regather, hasn't it? Uh, not just here, all the logistics of putting together many people coming back into a service like this, and, uh, but just regathering into whatever you do <laughs> aside from coming to church here, many things. And for some of you, it's been, could I say, difficult to get back to uh, what semi-normal with uh, going back maybe to the office now part-time, maybe places where you shop and you have to uh, wear a mask and you have to stand on the mark to keep yourself distanced. And uh, have you had that odd attempt to recognize who somebody is by just seeing their eyes and their hair? <laughs> it was, uh, I saw Tom this morning on our worship team, but I didn't know who it was because it looked like somebody else. And then he said, oh yeah, I'm doing my hair differently now. <laughs> so uh, this, this, is, this is different. And for some of us, it's difficult. And for some of us, it's very difficult. Um, nothing seems to be normal. In fact, last Sunday, I was saying goodbye to a few people, and there were two who said to me that they had lost their jobs over the last month or so. So whether it's that or the economic shrinkage of your hours or your paycheck or maybe it's um, something to do with school and your kids, that's a tough one. Maybe it's fear of catching the virus or if you have it or think you have it, fear of spreading it. it it's, it's everything, isn't it? It's, it's uncertainty, it's fearfulness. And I don't know, have you, how many times have you wondered, will things ever get back to the way it was pre-COVID? Have you thought about that? And have you ever thought, you know, Lord, maybe it never will get back. And I can't wait until you return and make all things not the way they were pre-COVID, but make all things much, much, much better and best. Well, if you haven't thought that way, that's why we're spending six weeks to talk about regathering. You heard Pastor Jen mention that starting today and up to our kickoff Sunday in September, we're going to, to take a look at the final regathering described in the book of Revelation chapter 21 and 22, and then see what that means for our regathering here at Shelton and in the different parts of our lives. There's something, you see, about imagining the future that helps to reorient our present. 
last summer, our neighbor had a big tree taken down, and I asked if I could have the logs uh, for our wood stove. So they agreed, and in our backyard was this giant pile of these logs ready to be split. So one of my goals this summer was to split them, you know, so they'd get dried out in time for the fall. And uh, when I'm dripping in sweat, splitting those logs, and wondering if I should quit, all I have to do is think about those cold, cozy nights in the den with a fire going that says to me, no, keep splitting now because there's a better future coming for those logs. Now that's kind of a homey illustration, isn't it? But that's an example of where my imagining the future reorients my present. And that's what we see, not just in Revelation, but many times in Scripture. For instance, we all know the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come. Your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Do you realize you're really praying for two things there? You're praying for the future kingdom to come, for God's glory to fill the earth to be rid of sin and injustice. And that will happen someday. But you're also praying that as those who worship and live under the lordship of King Jesus, your life becomes a channel of those values and actions of that kingdom here and now. Kingdom living here and now as well as what's coming in the ultimate future. Can you see that? It's kind of a double way of following Jesus. So that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to start in Revelation chapter 21. And uh, if you have your copy of scripture, I invite you to follow me as I read the first five verses of a beautiful vision of what's coming. Revelation 21, 1 through 5. John writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will be with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. The word of the Lord for us today. What I'd like to do now is to show you two of these promises that John gives us in these first five verses. 
of the ultimate future and show you how those two are starting to be realized in our present right now and challenge us in what ways does that make life different for us. So the first one is in verse 1. The first promise is a new heaven and a new earth. And perhaps in your Bible you see that there's quotation marks around that expression. That's because John is probably quoting from the book of Isaiah, the prophet who was the first one to predict in chapter 65, there is coming a new heaven and a new earth. And of course, when you hear heaven and earth, you go all the way back to the book of Genesis. So here we have the bookends of the Bible. In Genesis 1, it begins. God creates the first one, but sin quickly ruins it, which means that God has to redeem it and make a second one, a new one. But maybe the, the next passage or the next expression sounds a little strange. There was no longer any sea. Now, for some of you, like me, you like to go to the beach or you like to swim in the ocean. <laughs> Water doesn't scare you. In fact, you want to get there. Is, is somehow God destroying our joy here? Well, no. Remember, if you go back to where it began in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2 says that when God first created the earth, it was wet. It was totally covered with water. And it was dark. And it was chaotic. And it took God's creative genius to bring land and creatures and make a beautiful earth. That set the stage in the Bible then for waters. For you see in Genesis chapter 6 through 9, when God set out to destroy the world because it had turned his back on God, except for Noah and his family, what did he do? He washed the world again. He flooded it with water and it became just like it was in Genesis 1 verse 2. And he started over with a new Adam named Noah. And you still see this theme of water when you move through the Old Testament and you see that God takes his people out of the land of Egypt into the promised land, but they have to go through a body of water called the Red Sea. They go through it dry, but for the Egyptian armies, it becomes the graveyard of death. When you get to the Gospels, you see Jesus calming the waters of the Sea of Galilee and even walking on the stormy waves because he is the Lord of evil and death and destruction. And so when you come, say, even to this book of Revelation and it describes a future world ruler called the Antichrist in chapter 13, it says he is like a beast coming out of the sea. So when you get to Revelation 21, now don't worry about not having fun on the new earth. What God is saying is there will be no more evil there. There will be no more sin. This is the pure world. This is the righteous world that is coming 
all because, as the book of Revelation says, there was one man who was God who came to defeat Satan and pay sin's debt. Revelation describes him as the lamb who was slain, who is now standing as the lion of the tribe of Judah. It's all because of Jesus that we will have a new world coming, a new creation. That's the first promise. Second promise in verses 2 and 3, talk about um, God coming down to earth. And he, he uses two images here. One is a city and the other is a bride. Again, it's a metaphor. It's the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming. In the Old Testament, where did God live? In the temple. Where was the temple? In a city called Jerusalem. So what John is seeing is that God is saying that earth, the new creation, is going to be the new temple, the new city of God, the new Jerusalem. And it's filled with all of God's people, the bride of Christ. And note again that it says the direction. God is coming down. It's not what most of us think sometimes, don't we, that forever and ever we're just going to die and go to be with God in heaven forever and ever and ever. No, that's only the first step. The final step is that all of God's people who are in heaven with God come back and live on planet Earth. When God comes down, he comes down to us forever and ever. That's the goal of history, to bring heaven and earth together in cosmic reconciliation. Paul says it this way in Ephesians 1 that God is bringing unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Man, it's pretty sweet to be in a room with God's people worshiping God for a finite number of minutes. I don't have to worry about too much about sin. I don't have to worry about somebody hurting me. My mind is fixed on holy and heavenly things. But of course, we leave and things change. But there will be a day when in that place called the new Jerusalem, on the new heaven, on the new earth, that is God's new temple, all of God's people will be face to face with God forever. I, I can't even imagine it, but I want to. And we will be there. So I say to myself, and I say to you, well, here's just two promises out of this beautiful description of what's coming. What does it mean for us today? Is it simply a promise of the future, and we just have to wait for it and kind of get through these days? Well, the good news is, no, it isn't. Because Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. What? You, you mean we're in that future world? 
No, but some of that future world has come into God's people. If we are in Christ, we start to partake of that like an appetizer to a banquet. When we trust Christ, we are born again. We are experiencing the new birth where we get new eyes and a new heart and a new start in life. We can live in new ways on this old earth. Jesus said it like this, you are light in darkness. You are salt on an earth that is corrupting. You might say it this way, as it will be, so it should be. And when God says someday he will come down to planet Earth and he will fill the world because all God's people will be there, something happened in Acts chapter 2. When Jesus went to heaven as Lord of his church, he sent his spirit. The spirit came down on those people, that first church. And any time anyone believes in Jesus, they get the Spirit. The Spirit comes down on them and in them. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, that you have received from God, and you are not your own? See how the future is starting to invade the present? We don't just have to wait for a new creation. We already are a new creation. We don't have to wait just for God to fill the planet with his presence. He's already filled himself in our lives. As it will be, so it should be. So what does that mean for our regathering? What does it mean to be people of the new creation, and people who have the Spirit in us right now. Well, you know what it means? It means that we need to seize this moment to be distinctively Christian in a world that seems to be just going off in all sorts of directions. So I, I, I just picked five things that I'd like us to think about and how to think and live distinctively as Christians. The first one is in our, in our church, even in our gathering this morning. Uh, you who are in front of me in the worship center have chosen to be here. There are more who are watching who have chosen not to come. And that's fine. May it never be that people who come to church are really better than those who just watch somewhere else. Don't ever let that division occur. There's reasons why you have come, and there's reasons why other people have not come, and they're all good reasons and godly reasons. That's certainly no way to live distinctively Christian. Don't let that even seep into your thoughts or your words. Make your decision. Maybe it'll change week to week. But since you have the Spirit, you can talk to God about that. 
Don't wait for some directive from the church that says, now it's time for you to come, or if you don't come, you are this. Or No, you are God's temple. So feel free to join the way you want to, the way you feel like God is leading you. Second, what about your job, your finances? I don't know, but I, I mean, I would think that if we're borrowing trillions of dollars in our economy, and if things are not the way they will be, I don't know what's going to happen, but things are not going to stay the same they were six months ago. What is that going to look like? Uh, I talked about two people I met last week who said they lost their job. Maybe some of you are going to hear that this week or next month or next year. I don't know. But what it means is that you have a God who knows that, and you have a church that wants to be there to help. We want to pray for you. And as we are able, we want to care for you in real ways, whether that means helping pay bills, whether that means connecting with um, job resources that we know about. That's what the family is all about. So if you have a need, or if you know of somebody that has a need, please connect us to them. You know, that's been a good thing for the last four months. We've been able to see our church get connected in ways that they had to because we weren't able to connect here on a Sunday morning. Keep those connections going no matter what. And God will provide. What about parenting? And I guess I'm thinking about school. <laughs> I mean... It seems like every day you wonder what the news is going to be. Am I right about that? I mean, and especially if both parents are working, then what does that mean if kids have to have school at home virtually or homeschooled or whatever? It's a lot of uncertainty there. Again, that's where the church can help by connecting people to each other and praying for each other as well. We will get through this. You know, when you step back for a moment, this time has really been good because it, it shakes the normalcy of things and it makes you think, okay, what's really more important than something else that I've elevated? And whether we like it or not, family is starting to come first, where before maybe job or career or sports or entertainment took first place. So I don't have the answers. God does, so we need to go to him and go to each other as we think through what regathering for the school year looks like. Fourth, racial injustice. Haven't we seen some ugly things that just boiled to the surface? But that means that the ugly things were already there. And as Christians, distinctively, we see things through different eyes. The first place we start is that all people are made in God's image and have equal worth and value before God and surely before us. And that means that 
generations of injustice and mistrust and shameful ignorance must be reversed among God's people. Why? Because we care that the values of the new creation, your kingdom come now. So that means that we need to lead, but we lead in a distinctive way that avoids violence, avoids questionable political allegiances, and stays away from justification of the past and says, here we are, what does God want us to do? What does God want me to do in my small circle of influence? And if you've tuned out to that, as a Christian, you need to tune in because it's not going away and it shouldn't go away and Christians need to lead in a distinctive way of racial harmony and equality of image bearers of God, let alone our brothers and sisters in Christ. Fifth and last, what about Fear of change. I mean, that's all around us, right? I mean, you, you should have seen it here this morning at, uh, I don't know what time people got here, 7 o'clock earlier, <laughs> and working on this and wiring that and trying this and getting the communion things ready. You'll hear about that in a minute. And uh, is nothing the same? Well, God is. If you're afraid of change, welcome to the new world because God is shaking things. And when God shakes us up, only our idols crash. He remains. And we need to look to him in new ways, in fresh ways. And if you're a Christian, you should believe in change because that's what God is all about. He is about changing us from the inside out. Repentance is change. Sanctification is change. And we need to see what God is doing. When you watch the news, when you hear about things, I hope there's a little voice inside that says, not just, oh, react from your, you know, emotions, but what is God doing? And how can I, as a child of God, bring God's new creation to bear in my words and my attitudes and my actions? So that means in these increasingly stressful days, especially not just the virus, but whether you've got a hurricane coming and then an election in a few months, it's going to get worse. Church, please do not start your conversations with the latest conspiracy theory or theories or the latest fearful news about what's coming. That's the way of the world. That's the old order of things that's passing away. We need to move toward people with the good news of the gospel. And if we don't have answers, and we probably won't, we have a God that we can point people to who is the answer? You know why I can say that with conviction? Is because 
When the first Adam failed, God sent the last Adam. And the last Adam is called Emmanuel, God with us. He is the one who died, who was raised, who in his resurrection embodied the power, the life of the new creation. And when he ascended to heaven and poured out his spirit, he shares that new creation power with his people so that we become a third way in society. We are not the future world yet, and we are not the old world now, but we are pointers toward the better way. That's why the early Christian church was called the way, because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. As Jin said, for the last four months, we've been fasting from the Lord's Supper. Now it's time to feast. And this is where God's people come as his family to eat and to drink as his blood-bought children. If you are not part of his family yet, please do not partake. Rather, think deeply about who Jesus is and how your desperate thirst and hunger in your soul can only be satisfied in him and trust in Jesus even now. Let's pray. Our God, we thank you for this time of feasting and celebration. Reorient our hearts so that as it will be, so it should be. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, we pray. Amen.